you know, teach them from the hole out and then allow them, you know, to play the game from 100 yards or 150 yards, wherever they're comfortable. It, it's when they get the ball and hit it up in the air, that's when they get excited. But when they get there and they top it or they miss it and they whiff it because they're trying to swing too hard, they just disengage. You're listening to the Birdie Dad podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian, and Trevor. This week on the podcast, Trevor, Brian, and I are joined by author and PGA master professional, Stephen Vigiano. Stephen has over 30 years of experience teaching golf, which led him to writing his book, Enrich your life and the world with the game of golf. In this interview, I didn't realize how much Steven would help us realize how we can change small rules within the game to make golf more enjoyable for your kids. If you want a copy of Steven's book, we are giving away several this week. Just share the episode and send me a message on Facebook. Enjoy this interview and take Steven's tips to make the game more enjoyable for your kids. It's a wonderful game. Uh, it's a wonderful business. Um, I even I have no idea how I wrote a book, but I wrote a book about golf and life and you mm-hmm. know, golf instruction in it. It's just all the wonderful things that the game has brought to me and <clears throat> what I've seen the game do for kids. Mm-hmm. I think what really inspired me to write it was when I was back east in New York, I was doing PJ Hope, which is for helping our veterans, introducing them to golf. We did a six-week program called PJ Hope, and the veterans didn't know what to expect. When we were done with the six-week classes, it was two hours a week, we did a, uh, a little thing where we went out and we played a little scramble with the veterans. We gave them a set of clubs, a hat, a shirt that said PJ Hope on it, and, you know, red, white, and blue. We had a banquet for them, and the guys I played with, <clears throat> they all came up to me, and they had tears in their eyes, you know, one at a time. And they kept thanking me for introducing them to golf, and they said, it's like, I feel like I've got you know, a new lease on life. And I just looked at them and I was crying. And I just said, no, guys, I, I have to thank you because you just changed my life. You mm-hmm. you gave me the true meaning of what player development is and what the true meaning of uh, how golf can bring healing to a human being and to give them a reason to get up in the morning. So um, that kind of in a nutshell is is who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I think, gosh, for the last five years, I've never, I haven't charged anybody for a golf lesson. I just, I just, I just mm-hmm. enjoy doing it, and very seldom, except for my 11-year-old grandson, do I actually give a lesson on the driving range. I do it out on the golf course with people I never even met before. So fun. That's well, cool. I'm proud. I wear my, I wear my logo, and half the half the people don't even know what PGA means. About 90% of the people don't know what that logo stands for. I'll watch somebody for five or six holes, and I'll go. Are you kind of tired of hitting it that way? And they'll look at me and go, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, but obviously, I'm, I'm playing pretty good. So, I mean, it's like, you know, if I'm making pars and a birdie and I'm, you know, not really slapping it all over the golf course, they go, wow, this guy's maybe he's a pretty good player. And I introduce myself and say, well, look, I've been watching you for four or five holes and I'm a PGA professional. And um, I, I, I see something that you're doing. If, I, if you want a little bit of advice, I said, I'm not going to tell you how to play, but I'm going to tell you how to maybe hit the ball a little bit straighter so you can find it, then they, they appreciate it. So when I'm out there playing with them, I'll just give them one or two little things because I've changed my whole approach to golf instruction. It's really the, the best way to teach someone is out on the golf course. And the reason why I say that is, is because you can get on the driving range in a perfect lie in a perfect situation. And that mm-hmm. is a wonderful way to teach somebody how to make contact. 
right. and maybe to understand why the ball goes where it goes. But when you're out on the golf course, you can actually you can look at someone and say, well, the ball's going way left because, you know, that's where you're aimed. And then they don't understand that golf course designers, when they build a tee box, you could have a tee box that's going 50 yards right of your fairway. And the, the fairway is there, but they aim to where the tee box is aimed, looking mm-hmm. at it like, a, you know, as a cross reference. And I go, I go stand behind the tee and look, you know, look where, you know, first of all, I'll draw a line on their ball and put the line on the, on the, on the tee. And then I'll have the line going to where the fairway is. And then I say, come back and look at where the line on the ball is compared to where the tee box is aimed. And they go, wow. And all of a sudden, now for the next 18 holes, they're, they're lining their ball up on the tee, which very, very few people do. I saw one gal on the LPJ do it. But I've been doing that for ever since I put a line on my ball. I just don't use it on the putting green. I use it on the tee box. In your, ex- yeah, in, in your experience, why do they do that with the tee box? Why is it offline like that? I find that a lot. Could be, it could be a, a grumpy uh, groundskeeper, too. Just got up oh, on the wrong well, side of the bed in the morning. Yeah, in my <laughs> I mean, I've been uh, I've been very fortunate to be uh, most of my life. I kind of I, I jumped from the, uh, the assist, first assistant to right straight to director of golf back in the early mid 90s. And I was either director of golf or, or a GM for the last you know 25 years. And so I and a lot of times I had to supervise or be a, a, a integral part of the maintenance team and, and working with my uh, my uh, superintendent. And the guys that worked there, a lot of them didn't play golf. Some did, but <clears throat> you would find out that they're never taught to put the tees in a position to where the tees are aimed. If you if you put a ninety degree you know angle between the mm-hmm. tees and where you're supposed to hit the ball, um, it doesn't work that way. Even though they just they put the tees down in line with the tee box, mm-hmm. so you're basically <clears throat> yeah. unless you get behind the ball and you actually look at it, it goes wow, the tee box is pointing into the woods. <laughs> and you have yeah. to visually, that's why I teach everybody to, you know, put a line on your golf ball and, and forget about where the tee box is because it's just a piece of grass. It's a mound. So line the line that Sharpie's line to where you want to hit the ball, then line the club face up to the Sharpie's line and then line your body up to the club face. Most people don't do that. They put their, they line their body up, then they put the club to the ball and they have no idea that they're aimed 30 or 40 yards left or right of their target. So I, I find that when you just you know, line the, the line on it and then stand behind it and say, okay, that's going where I want to hit it, the middle of the fairway, left or right, whatever, how good a player you are. And when you line the club face up to that, it's no different than a putter on a putting green. When you line the putter, uh, the club face up, the driver face up to that line, and you make making a 90-degree angle, now you line your body up, you got a way better chance of hitting that ball where you want to hit it as opposed to you're at the mercy of a number one, a tee box that's aimed 30 or 40 yards left to right of your target because that's where this, the uh, architect designed it. People wonder, well, wow, I, I hit it dead straight. Yeah, and you hit it dead straight where the tee was aiming. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Stephen, when you're working with your your 11-year-old grandson, what's the first thing you're working with him on golf? Where, where do you start? I start on the putting green. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of – it's funny because now it's, now it's become – it's the new modern way of coaching, and I was taught – you know, 30 years ago, you start on the putting green and then learn how to chip, learn how to pitch and work your way from the hole back. It's very similar to what Operation 36 is doing right now, which I think is is going to be the new model for uh, introducing kids to the game, uh, which is basically you teach them from the hole back out to the fairway. And um, like for my grandson, once we did that and then I got him hitting the uh, hitting the ball on the you know, on the lesson tee, it was really a matter of, okay, now we're going to go out and play. 
and you're going to tee it up from the 100-yard marker. Hmm. And you, every hole on that 18-hole golf course is a par three. And I kept his score. And so his goal is to, you know, get the ball somewhere on the green or near the green and be able to chip it on a two-putt. So if he can make a four from 100 yards, that's his par. Mm-hmm. When we started out, it was if he could make a six. Then when he got better, can you make a five? And then can you make a four from 100 yards? And then eventually I moved them back to the red tees. But it took, it took you know, it took a while. You go, I, I did it in like 25 to 25-yard increments. Yeah. In the beginning, I let him tee the ball up everywhere except for when he had to chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Even, you know, if you put the ball on a, on a, on a low tee and you just tell him to break the head off the tee, he's not looking at the ball or focusing on the ball. He's focusing on a spot underneath the ball, and that helps him to get the ball up in the air. And uh, I found that to be the most productive way. And uh, quite frankly, he was uh, – it's amazing. I think within two or three months, he was starting to make a bunch of pars. And that was and then I moved him back to the 150 marker when he was starting to make pars. Nice. And what age was that? Uh, he's 11 right now. Okay. And he's, he's, never, played, he's never basically played any uh, any other sport. Well, he's played football and uh, basketball, mm-hmm. you know, which is part of the American development model, which is the new direction that golf is going in. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he just, you know, get him on a putting green because putting's fun, you know. And um, and I think the best way to do it is, is to uh, make it fun by creating games. You know, for uh, for me, it was, you know, okay, three feet, can you two putt? <laughs> You know, now all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah. And then he gets, he gets real proud when he makes one. So I just think you teach them from the hole out. And boy, once, once they have a short game where they can chip and they can putt, everything else kind of falls in place because they love to whack the driver. That, does, that doesn't change. I, I, I still like to do that and go and brag about how far I can hit my driver. You think about a child's self-esteem is so fragile that have them come away from the golf course with a feeling of, wow, like, I mean, you know, like they're sticking their chest out and they're just really proud. They're not bragging, but they're just really proud of their accomplishments. That's something that, um, uh, for me, that, that's something that the game teaches that is so vital to their mental health. Yeah. So talk about, talk about your book. Um, your book really focuses on that enriching your life through golf. I mean, that's the title of it. So yeah. with your research on that, what did you find that surprised you? My research was my life research, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll give you a little bit of a background of of what allowed me to write the book. When I was 18, I, I left New York. I wasn't going to go to college, so my mom said, well, go to California, because my sister, my older sister was there, and she was studying acting and uh, voice lessons and stuff and wanted to be an actress. So I said, okay, I'll give acting a try. So when I came to California at the age of 18, my sister's acting coach kind of took me under her wing. And she said to me after the class, she pulled me aside and says, are you going to go to college? I said, no, I don't really plan on doing that. She says, well, then you need to read at least two books a month for the rest of your life. The book started out to be like whatever was kind of fun for the day. And over the last 20 years, it's been nothing but nonfiction books by uh, the greatest philosophers and thinkers of our time and prior to our time. And um, so it's funny when uh, one of the uh, uh, book book reviewers reviewed it and and put in there uh, philosophy with a PGA professional, a master professional. And so there's a little bit of philosophy in it. And it's my life's philosophy of, you know, what I've learned through the game and what I've learned through reading. Um, And, you know, I guess what you say is I'm a lifelong learner. You know, uh, the it's it's funny in 2009, I, I, I literally walked away from a GM job to uh, 
pursue my education in the PGA of America. I said I wanted to get certified. And uh, it's a process that could take one or two years to get one, one certification. It took me nine years, but I got all five of the ones that I wanted to get. And then I said, well, what's next? And that, what, what's next was to be a mass professional. And then again, at the end of 2016, I walked away from a general manager's job where I could have probably retired from. And, um, you know, people looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, you know, I'm going to go back to New York and spend time with my mom, who was 90, 90 years old at the time. And I'm going to complete my master profession, which normally takes four or five years to do. I did it in 18 months. I was on a computer for 40 hours a, uh, a week. But I, I, I didn't feel like it was some like it was my life's dream to, you know, retire as a GM or a director of golf or a head pro. Something bigger called me um, to to finish my mass professional thesis. And out of my mass professional thesis from writing uh, came the thing of writing a book. But what really inspired me to write the book was PGA Hope, was working with the veterans. It really it changed my life to see what the game of golf can truly do to a human being. The more I found out that the number one cause of, uh, of death in veterans is suicide, and then I researched it, and uh, the number two cause of death for children between the age of 12 and 24 is suicide. That's number two. And the number one cause of death for uh, men in the uh, age of 60 and above is, is suicide. And um, I figured you got to have a meaning. You know, they always talk about Simon Sinek's why. What's your why? If you know what your why is, you can, you can withstand any how that happens to you in life. But if you lose the meaning of, of life and meaning of life could be, why do you get up in the morning and why, you know, what is going to drive you to want to, you know, to be better or to, uh, to live. And that's kind of like what I wrote the book about is that, and the title is Enrich Your Life in the World with a Game of Golf, because I've seen golf enrich everyone's life that I have been able to touch through the game of golf. The game has enriched their lives. And uh, that's kind of why I wrote the book. But um, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of philosophy in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we're all somewhat philosophers in a way of life because uh, we're as a parent, we're a philosopher. We're trying to teach the kids the life lessons that we know. And we're not teaching them bad life lessons. We're trying to teach them, you know, positive life lessons. So I just, uh, you know, I looked at it, I said, well, there's no point writing a golf instruction book. There's a million of those out there, right? And uh, no one's ever written a book really about how you connect golf and life. Mm -hmm. And for me, golf has been my life for over 30 years. It's what I do. It's what I love to do. I get up every morning excited about it. And I've never worked a day in my life, even though I worked 60, 70 <laughs> hours a week for 30 years. So yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of it. That's, that's kind yeah. of the book in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I picked it up this this weekend and started reading it quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I'm halfway through it and I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's my son it parallels put a lot in there. That was yeah, you know, and and I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but my son put something in there that was so profound to me that I never even realized it. He said, "Dad, your book is a blueprint to living a fulfilling life because you're a living testament to that." And yeah. I said, "Yeah," I said, "My life has been re 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 uh, rich and rewarding, far beyond my wildest dreams." You know, and I. And I, and I really truly believe what I said in there. I says, what are you going to, why, why do, why do we, any, why does anybody retire? What's the point of retiring? You know, just, you know, I said, you're going to go from one career to another career. You had a career for 40 years. You retire at whatever age, pick up a new career, make the career golf. You know, yeah. you're going from one thing to another thing. You know, you're going to something that uh, brings you a challenge and, and, uh, and makes your life uh, meaningful. Yeah. I, I've been, 
I've been reading quite a bit, and I, and I, I really I, I like how you kind of uh, liken the game of golf to your life, you know, and far as far as what hole you're on, you always talk about being on the back nine. And I, and I got to ask when I'm reading reading this, I'm wondering where do you put yourself? What hole are you on in the game of golf and life right now? Are you on uh, number fifteen, number sixteen? Where where are you uh, at there? I I'm actually uh, I would say that I'm on hole number twelve. Okay. Hmm. All right. Okay. You know, why I say that is because of the transition of into like, let's say 2000, early 2017 was when I stopped being a working professional, you know, as far as being a GM or a head pro or director of golf. But my, my focus now went to becoming a master professional and completing every area of education that the PGA of America offered because I didn't have a college degree, but I wanted to have the highest degree I could have as a golf professional, as a PGA member. So that would be closing the chapter on the front nine would be when I walked away from my general manager's position and being an everyday working PGA professional. The back nine started when I started with my uh, mass professional thesis. Uh, so that would be hole number 10. And hole number 11 was writing a book. And enrich your life. Um, we know that golf is, you know, not the number one sport for kids. We know it's not the the most popular for kids that, you know, coming up through the football is super popular and basketball. So what would you say? I mean, how could, what could we do to increase the game to our young kids? Well, there's a, there's a few ways to go. Um, the PGA of America has a website called uh, PGA.org. And um, I'm certified in uh, PGA.coach, uh, which is the American Development Model. And the American Development Model is, uh, is a model uh, for taking kids through uh, progressions and developmental uh, progress from maybe the time they're four or five years old all the way through high school. But what it also teaches in the American Development Model is, is that you want the children to play multiple sports. And there's a reason for that. You don't want it to specialize too early in one particular sport because what happens is, um, and I've seen this in golf, is where a parent, you know, decides, okay, this this child's gonna, you know, is gonna play high school golf, gonna go to college, gonna play in the LPGA or the PGA Tour, and they're eight years old, and they, and it's like really, um, you know, and by the time they get into high school, they're they're pretty well burned out, you know, and they may they may play through high school golf. Uh, but by the time they get to college, they don't want to play golf anymore. And the sad thing is, is uh, the statistics say that um, eight out of 10 children quit sports altogether by the age of, uh, I think, by the age of uh, 13. So why would you want to get them into golf and how do you get them into golf? I would say find a, find a coach who is certified in, the, in PGA.coach, which is the American development model. And the other avenue, which is, our, which is uh, some things I really enjoy, is like PGA Junior League where the kids can go and they play in like a scramble format. They don't have to know how to play the game. And the other thing, like I said, uh, Operation 36, if you can find a, a golf course that is doing Operation 36, where they teach from the hole out, that is how you build uh, golfers for life. But the biggest thing is, is you want your children playing multiple sports. You want them to play multiple sports so they don't get burned out. And you want to introduce them to golf, but you don't want to push them into golf. You don't want to push them into any sport. You want to let them play multiple sports because really what that does is uh, it gets them active. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned when I went through my mass professional thesis in player development was is that um, childhood obesity has gone up over 18% in the last 10 or 15 years. And, um, you know, that's a problem. Um, the only way we can uh, overcome that is by getting the children out in fresh air and getting them you know, to play sports, you know, uh, and it's simple stuff like when they're four or five years old, just, you know, running, jumping, catching, throwing, you know, those kind of things. So 
Mm-hmm. As far as golf goes, uh, the the three avenues is PJ Junior League is is so easy for you to do. Uh, it's not expensive, and the kids play in a in a, an, a team atmosphere, and it's all about enjoying the game and learning and learning, you know, um, some etiquette and learning manners and sportsmanship. Um, and that's one of the things that I really enjoy about golf that I've seen with children is is that they learn they learn manners. Uh, they learn how to treat each other with respect and they learn to shake hands and take their hat off and be uh, polite. And, you know, even when they lose, they're gracious and losing. And that's what uh, when I grew up, I didn't see that in the sports I played. I played ice hockey. Uh, I played lacrosse and um, baseball, football. And what I found was is that you got, you know, sometimes you'd walk away sore losers, you know, because you didn't win the game. And, you know, it's like you, the, the other team was the enemy. And what golf, the golf will allow that. Golf will not allow the other team. The other team's not the enemy. They're your, they're your friends. They're people that you're going to play against and have a great time with. And it's not about winning or losing. It's about how did you play the game? And that's what golf, to me, separates from uh, a lot of other sports. And I also look at the fact that, um, you know, for me, I blew my knee out when I was 17. You know, and I was hoping to go play in the, in the National Hockey League. But, okay. So two knee replacements later, what can I play? I play, I picked up golf after, after uh, hockey and I've been able to play golf my entire adult life. So with golf, I mean, I've found that it's can be, I think we all experience it can be the highest point you've ever hit that drive. And then you can be in the lowest point in the same round. So how do you manage expectations? What do you, what can you teach somebody, especially when you're talking to people new to the game and they experience that high and low, what, what do you work with them on? You know, I, I will tell you that uh, a beginner, when they play, uh, play from a place where you're comfortable. Um, I have no problem with you playing from the 150 marker. I have no problem with you playing from the ladies' tees. And they ought to get rid of all the colors of the tees and just put tee markers down there. I think I wrote in my book where it's just however you hit your average drive, that's where you should tee off from. So that let's say the, the four or five of us are playing a game, right? And uh, I hit my drive 250 and you guys hit a 350. Okay, well, I'm playing 100 yards up, so we're all playing in our second shots in from the same area code, right? Mm-hmm. And then then it's not intimidating as much as it would be. But the other thing is there, there's no play-by rules that you're comfortable with. And what I say by that is, is that there's no reason why you cannot tee the ball up from the tee all the way to the green. Because when you tee the ball up, it's easier to get the ball up in the air. And what makes people excited is watching the golf ball go up in the air. That's what makes them – That's I want to say that's what hooks them on the game, is the, is the seeing the golf ball go up in the air and going, wow, I did that. But if you put them out there and they're in the fairway and they go chop, chop, dub, dub, top, top, and they go, oh, I hate this game. So that's what I would say. But, you know, play the game uh, where it's fun. Because when it's no longer fun, that big drive that you hit – that was thrilling and got you, you know, your adrenaline going. And then the next one you, you skunked into the woods. Well, you're not going to remember the one, the, the, the drive that you hit that was phenomenal. You're going to remember the crappy shot. So instead of remembering the bad shots, just remember the good shots. And then when you get on the tee, think about the good drive that you hit three holes back. And then see that visual image of that drive going up in the air. Because you guys play the, the game. Okay, so 14 holes, you might hit a driver or three wood off the tee. You might shoot 100 and you, you got 50 putts and you chip the ball 30 times. So 80 out of 100 shots, and I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but maybe 70 out of 100 shots were from 25, 30 yards off the green. So mm-hmm. if you're good at that, you know, you can hit a, a bad drive and still make up for it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So did you hear that, Jared and Trevor? Um, we're just going to tee it up uh, middle of fairway 
yeah. whenever we play together. Sound good? Sure. Sure thing no, for I, me. I, 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 I like that. That make me feel better. Definitely. To play the game <laughs> from 100 yards or 150 no, yards, wherever they're comfortable. You playing with your it, it's when they get you the ball and hit it up in the air, that's when they get excited. But when they get there and they top it or they miss it and they whiff it because they're trying to swing too hard, they just disengage. So you want to engage them. And the only way you can engage them is to have them have fun watching the ball go up in the air or making a putt or chipping one up there going real close and you give, you're giving them, wow, great chip, you know, great putt. And all of a sudden, they're so excited about golf, they can't wait to get back out on the golf course. But if they're chopping and topping it down the fairway and they have to play real golf, you know, from mm -hmm. the tee to the green by the rules of golf, I guarantee you they'll, they'll, be, they'll be quitting within, you know, two or three uh, rounds of golf. It's, it's a choice as a parent. Make okay. it fun. It has to be fun. At what age would you estimate that your grandson, you got your grandson started putting on the putting green? Well, how old was he, do you think? You know what? I got him a set of U.S. Kids Clubs when he was about six. And uh, that's kind of really all he did was the putting stuff. But uh, my kid, my, my grandson was down here in Southern California. And I was up in Northern California in San Jose working at the course I was the GM at. When I came back from New York, I got him a set of clubs that were fitted for him from U.S. Kids. We started on the putting green, and, you know, it's funny. He's frustrated because, he, like, I can't make it. Like, he'd hit the one one go three feet, and the next one go ten feet past the hole. And over a period of about a month of spending an hour a day on the putting green, you know, three or four times a week, because I didn't want to, you know, bury him into the game thinking like he had to do it. But all of a sudden, he just started to pick up on it. He understood what I said about the feel. In other words, he started to relax his grip. He started to slow his breathing down. And when I told him, I said, you know, be aware of your breathing because when your breathing stops, you get really, your grip gets tight and you, and you either stutter and you don't hit the ball or you smack at it because your hands are tight. And when he relaxed, he started becoming a really good putter. And he understood that the direction, you're not going to miss the ball 10 feet left or right. You're going to miss it 10 feet long or short. So he stopped worrying about uh, the direction so much because I taught him to line the line. You know, he'd get behind the ball, get on his knees and line the line up to the where he thought it was going to go. Then he would line the putter up and then he would line his feet up. And he did exactly what I was saying in, in, when we first started discussing golf, that, okay, now you, the line's taken care of. Turn that part of your brain off and now just relax and feel the speed. So he, he I taught him speed, uh, understanding how to, uh, you know, adjust his speed. And when he did that, all of a sudden he started putting really well. And then when we went out on the golf course... He would be lagging the putts up there two or three feet, and you know, I'd have him mark it, you know, taught him the etiquette. He would wait for it was his turn. He would get down on his knees, even on a two-foot putt, line the ball up, the line up, line the putter up, line the feet up, and then he would short backswing. Putter head follows the ball right to the hole, just like I taught him, and he makes made, made, started making a lot of putts. And every once in a while, he'd, make, he'd knock in a 20, 30-footer, and he was just like, that's what – he was just like, he couldn't wait to get home and tell his mom and dad he made a 20, 30-foot putt. That's what really energized him into uh, wanting to play the game, you know. So I think one one of the yeah one of the biggest myths we work with is that we we need to get our kids on the course at five six eight years old, and like you said, we need to get them focused on golf. Have you worked with anyone that went on to be an elite, elite level talent that really didn't pick up the game until they were they were older and didn't have that exposure at such a young age? Uh, yeah, I've I've worked with uh, uh, some. You know, younger people in their uh, 
I'll give you a, an example of a, a young a young man that I started working with uh, when I was at Los Postos Country Club uh, here in Southern California. He was a member, and he uh, was about 13, I think, and he was just getting ready to go into high school. But he was, you know, he was shooting in the 90s or something like that. He just comes into the shop and he goes, "Can you help me get better? I want to make my high school team." And I said, "Sure." And I, I never charged him for a lesson. I never would because it was just the the pure joy of watching him progress. And, you know, we would work for maybe a half an hour on the range. We would work for, you know, 45 minutes on the putting green in the short game area. And then we would go out and we would play nine holes. To make a long story short, in his senior year, I want to say his stroke average was like 73 point something. Several times he shot in the 60s uh, in 18 hole tournaments. So it, it can be done. But did you see the, the difference was is that he came up to me and asked me, I didn't force the game on him. He just wanted, he just loved the game. When you have someone, you know, who's ready to specialize, as they say, in other words, they've chosen golf, or maybe they're not sure which uh, sport they want to specialize in. When they have the desire to want to play golf and get better, that's when you have an opportunity as a coach to take them as far as their talent and their desire will take them. Cool. I I like that. Um, you talk about the three, the three V's of action, you know, the process to anything, mainly like a golf setup, you know, like what your expectations are for a round, but really just life. And I think it's verbalize visual imaging, and then also vitalizing your goals. Can you kind of talk about that? I think our listeners would appreciate that a little bit. Well, to me, I was taught that, uh, at, believe it or not, my, uh, PJ business school by a, a man who was kind of a, like a philosopher, but at the same time, he was also a motivational speaker. He talked about goals. And I'm thinking, well, goals, what, it was, what the heck is a goal, right? So here I am. I'm trying to become a PGA member. I don't even know what a goal is, All right. Well, back then, they, they didn't really talk about that kind of stuff unless you actually read, you know, some of the, you know, uh, books like uh, by Norman Vincent Peale or uh, Dale Carnegie, you know. But uh, he said, if you don't write your goals down on paper, you're never going to forget, you're never going to remember them. So he said, you know, thoughts are fleeting, but paper never forgets. He says, you can think about something and it's, it's a great idea. And 10 minutes later, you forgot about it. But if you wrote that thought down, it's always going to be in front of you. So if you wrote your goals down and, um, you know, for me, my goal is to be a PGA member. That was my number one goal. So I wrote that down. Then he says, you know, you want to have short term goals, long term goals. And then, uh, you know, where do you want to be in five years? So I said, well, um, I had uh, seen in my local newspaper when I was an assistant professional at Las Postas that uh, they were opening up a brand new uh, private, you know, uh, country club that was about a mile and a half away from Las Postas. And uh, they said it was going to uh, take about four or five years for this to be uh, completed. It was a Bob Cup designed. It was a, you know, $50 million project with, you know, custom homes and lots and everything all around it with condominiums and everything. And so uh, there was a, uh, a piece of paper that had the, uh, uh, you know how they do a rendering or a mock drawing of the club. So uh, he said, you know, write down your five-year goal. So when I got home, I put on, I cut that thing out and I wrote, I'll be the director of golf at this place in five years. Okay. I put that on my refrigerator and I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it. Every time I opened the refrigerator for five years, I looked at that thing and four years and nine months 
after I put that thing on my refrigerator, I was the director of golf at that club. And nobody thought I would ever get it because I was an assistant professional. So That's cool. by me putting that goal up there and seeing that goal, and then I acted, which is actualization or, or a vitalization. I acted as if I already was the director of golf. And then what he said, the cybernetic mechanism in the brain, which we're not really most of us aren't aware of, took that image and me acting as if I was already in that position and made it a reality. Um, just like I saw when I did my mass professional thesis, guess what was on my, guess what was my screensaver on my, on my laptop for 18 months, the mass professional logo. Ah, mm -hmm. I cool. wrote down, I'll be a mass professional by this date. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I, and it, what the funny thing was, I didn't hit it the first date. So instead of me quitting, I just extended the date. <laughs> okay? nice. I, I like put it, it down. I'm going to do it in uh, like January of 2018. Didn't make it. I said, okay, I'm going to do it by uh, June, 2018. I did it May 15th, 2018. So instead mm. of me quitting and, you know, you know, folding the tent, I just extended the date. I kept, mm, nice. the, I kept, I kept the four stars in front of me. I printed it out. I put, I put down there. I will be a masked professional uh, on this date in player development. And I kept, I looked at that probably 10, 15 times a day. Mm -hmm. And I saw myself actually being a master professional. That's awesome. And that, that came true. So if you don't write your goals down and what you want to do with your life, and then if you can see yourself doing it, and then the biggest thing is, can you act as if it's already happened? And if you can do that, I think you can do anything in life. Cause I never knew I could write a book, but guess what? <laughs> I, I found the picture uh, that's on the cover of the book. I, I put the title on there. I printed it out. I put I put it on my, you know, I put it on my uh, refrigerator and I put it in my, you know, my bedroom. And I looked at it every day and I said, you know, this book will be a reality. And that mm -hmm. now it's a reality. So that's yeah. like the Jim Carrey story. I don't know if you've ever heard about that, but he, he uh, early on in his uh, when he started acting, he went to L.A. And I think he wrote himself a check out of his own personal bank account for like $10 million. And in the that. note, it was for acting services rendered and he had a date on it. So he wanted to be able to write himself a $10 million check by a certain date. And, and yeah, he kept that on his fridge or wherever in his office or whatever he had. And yeah, he did it. So yeah, yeah. The actualization that's very cool. Yeah. So you guys can do it and guess what? You can teach your children to do it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to write, uh, par 72 scorecard down and put it on my fridge right now. <laughs> I like it. I yeah, it. Visualize it, yeah. put it into you action. Yep. Thanks, Stephen. Um, we really appreciate it. you got a great story of perseverance and appreciate it. We're going to have your book and we'll give it in some giveaways for our listeners that they can have some copies of the book as well. Absolutely. And I'll leave you with one thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm very adamant about this. Our children and our grandchildren, they watch us, they emulate us, and they want to be like us. So be very careful how you act in front of your children. Be careful of what you say in front of your children and be careful of what you do in front of your children because they will model good behavior or they will model poor behavior. So as a parent, the most important thing you can do is to be the ultimate role model for your children and your grandchildren by being an exemplary human being. That's really, really important not to ever do anything that you would, you know, would want to do to be detrimental to their uh, to their development. You just listen for free. Now here's the deal. Go to our website at birdiedads.com and join us. 
you will get our golf starters guide and our golf coloring book for kids free right now by signing up. It just takes an email. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.